Matthew chapter 7. We'll be there momentarily. Jesus saves. That is the statement. But from what? That's the question. Because you see, a vast majority of Americans today in our tolerate everything, no such thing as sin society, completely reject the biblical reality of hell. And you know, I believe that's one of the reasons it's so hard to evangelize. The Bible and God and the idea of an eternal heaven and an eternal hell that God will send people to has been so attacked. We have a whole generation or two of people that have grown up with the idea that, well, you know, hell doesn't really exist. And, you know, God's so loving, you wouldn't send anybody there anyway. And, you know, when you're dealing with people like that, by and large, and you're trying to evangelize, and you're trying to tell them Jesus saves, the response is, from what? I mean, let's face it, folks. If there is no such thing as hell, and if God's going to take us all to heaven anyway, no matter what, then what does Jesus save anybody from? And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the mindset you get as, as you go to talk to people about this, because hell is just... A bad word today. That's all it is. You want proof? Okay. I, mean, I can't help this. How many of you remember the old show Family Feud? Okay. Scripture says, <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Just as Cliff just read. Scripture says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few who are going to life. What does that mean? That means the majority are not going to heaven. The majority are going to hell. Jesus then goes on as he kind of concludes the Sermon on the Mount here after verses 13 and 14. And, and in verses 15 through 20, he talks about false teachers, those who will lead many astray. And then he gets back to his topic, as it were, in verse 21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many. Here's that many again. He's already talked about the many in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. But here we are with that same many again. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When Jesus says on Judgment Day, depart from me, that means you depart from heaven, you depart from the presence of God, you depart from the presence of Jesus. There's only one other place to go, folks. And that is into eternal hell. That's what the Bible says. It says many will go there, and yet, Barna Survey says, quote, most Americans do not expect to experience hell firsthand. Just one half of 1% expect to go to hell upon their death. One half of 1% of Americans say they expect to go to hell upon their death. 
Now when you start thinking about the fact that the majority of Americans no longer attend church, that they no longer go and, and grow, and, and certainly when you start thinking about the fact that only a very, 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 very small minority of those who do go to church are members of, of the Lord's church, of the kingdom, of the saved. And you see what the Bible says about the many who will not dwell with Jesus. And then you read a Barna survey that says one out of every 200 people are the only... That means 199 out of 200 expect to go to heaven. 199 out of 200. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says only a small portion will go to heaven. A large portion will go to hell. And yet Americans don't believe that. As Brother Dale Royal writes in his book, Let the Bible Speak, Volume 2, quote, This explains the blasé attitude of many Americans towards morals. Why be good if there's no eternal punishment? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there's no, if there's no bad place for bad people, if there is no hell that you're going to, if you continue to live a life of sin, then why not sin it up? That's the general perspective. I'm sorry, I got away from my quote. Brother Dale Royal again, quote, This explains the blasé attitude of many Americans toward morals, the gospel, church attendance, and the Bible in general. They don't care. There's no hell. Live it up. So they think. And, and I wanted to... Stop and consider this whole church attendance. I mean, he throws it in there, and I want us to think about this. When it comes to those who only come to Bible class and, and worship service when it's convenient, only when it's convenient, and they're certainly never around for the works of the church. Whenever the church is working, they're just never there. You know, I have to wonder, I, I have to wonder, if they were on a cruise ship that was going down and there were sharks all around the ship, I have to wonder if they'd have the same attitude toward going to the lifeboats. Well, I will if it's convenient. Well, you know, right now I'm reading my magazine. I know the ship's going down, but I'm reading my... Leave me alone. Do you think that's the attitude they'd have if, if their wives and their families, their children, if the boat's going down like you've seen in the Titanic and the sharks are all around and, and they're going to this terrible, horrible death, do you think they'd have a blasé attitude about getting to the lifeboat? You know they wouldn't. And, and I wonder about those people who are, who are blasé in their church attendance. And again, Bible study and worship service only when it's convenient. And they're certainly never around with the works of the church. And they're, they're not around to visit people. And they're, they're not around to do those sorts of things. What if, what if they were on the sixth floor of a burning building? And you know, and the ladder comes up and the ladder gets up there to the sixth floor and, and all down below it's flames and you can't go down anywhere in the building. I wonder if they're sitting there as the smoke grows thicker and the fire grows hotter say well you know right now I'm trying to take a nap leave me alone I'll get to the ladder when it's convenient you think they do that not on your life and yet if if they had any idea 
of the reality of what it means to burn eternally in unspeakable agony if that ever truly registered with them I guarantee you you could not get them to run and jump and dig and claw and crawl their way to every Bible study of the church to every worship service of the church to every time the church is working you could not get them away from study and worship and participation in evangelistic efforts in the works of the church they couldn't get there fast enough they would beat a path to those doors like a people that were possessed for every event the church had to offer they'd be like those that I imagine in my mind as God closed the door on the ark that day and they come up to it and they're pounding on the door let me in let me in let me in too late I don't know if they did or not but that's one of the pictures in my mind don't think so? Don't think so? What kind of urgency do we see biblically in those who truly, truly, truly understood or even experienced the reality of hell? Those people who knew the reality of hell and the terrible suffering there, what kind of urgency did they have? Look with me if you would in Luke 16. These are the ones who knew. Look at the urgency. Look at the nothing can stop me from trying, trying to get people not to come here. Luke 16 verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He was in torment. He was in indescribable agony. Like being continually eaten up by, by, by lava that didn't consume or destroy, but it just burned. You ever had a grease burn that you just can't get off? It just absolutely drives you nuts. Imagine that on your whole body, but it doesn't consume you, it just gives you a pain you can't describe. He was in torment. Not only was he in physical torment, but he could look away and he could see all those people that, that were far away in Abraham's bosom, that were in paradise, and, and he could have been there. But it just kind of never struck him, the reality of this hellish place that he's in, even though it's only Hades. And it's not, from what I read in the scripture, even as bad as hell, it's just this, this intermediate waiting place, as it were. He's in Hades. He hasn't even made it to the real eternal hell yet. That comes after the judgment day. And he cried. One version says he cried out. I don't know if he cried out or if he simply cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. I am tormented here. Suppose he was rather blasé about that. When the reality of hell really took a hold, do you suppose he thought, well, you know, I got better things to do than worry about this. He was consumed with his torment. But Abraham said, Son, 
Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And I want you to notice what this man said. I want, you to, I want you to get a hold of the cold, chilling, agony, and urgency in his voice. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters to him. But he said, then I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. What's his number one priority now that the reality of hell has sunk in, the reality of Hades, excuse me, has sunk in? What, what, what is his top priority now? Now his top priority, all of a sudden, has gotten to be, I don't want to see anybody go there. Why didn't he think of that earlier? about Jesus? Jesus is one who certainly understands the reality of hell, doesn't he? And you can see the urgency whenever Jesus Christ talked about it. Mark chapter 9. This is a passage that I was going to read in the adult class this morning. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. You want to talk about urgency? You want to talk about seriousness? You want to talk about, about a, an urgent, imploring, all-out spirit that is trying to tell people about the reality of hell? Even if, even if one out of every 200 Americans is all that expects to go there. Even if, even if today people don't accept the reality of a loving God sending people to an eternal hell, there's somebody who knows better. And I want you to see the urgency and, and, and the passion in him. Jesus says in verse 43 of Mark 9, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Can you imagine how painful that would be? Some of you recall several months ago that I was working on a table saw and carbide tip table saw and the wood slipped and I kind of took off the end of my finger here and remember that? Sliced that up and had the big bandage. That hurt. Okay? No denying it. That hurt. But they didn't have table saws in Jesus' day. They didn't have nice, sharp, carbide-tip skill saws. So you go, and just, you know, run it off without, you know, all that agony. Jesus' day, they had hand saws. And Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life meaning eternal life, maimed, rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Jesus said, I want you to take a saw, and I want you to take your hand, and I want you, it would be better, less painful, better for you, nowhere near as intense a pain for you to go right back and forth and for you to cut your hand off yourself. Notice he doesn't say, have somebody else cut it off. He said, you would be better off to cut your own hand off. To stand there and shred it. Than to go to hell because hell is so much worse than that. 
He said, if your foot causes you to sin, you take that same saw once you've lost your hand and you've got one good hand left, you cut your foot off. You take that saw and you go back and forth and you go through the bones and the ligaments and you get rid of that foot because it is better and less painful and less agonizing for you to enter eternity without that hand and foot rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, He said, you go in there and you pluck out your own eye. Because it is better for you, it is easier for you, it is less agonizing for you to go in there and literally cut out and pluck out your own eye. That's easier, that's less painful. So much less painful. And go to hell. Pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm does not die and fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Why was Jesus so passionate? Why was he so urgent? Jesus was that passionate and that urgent about people's salvation because he understood the real, the reality and the intensity of what hell is going to be like. Why did Jesus, you don't think so? Why did Jesus go through all of that agony on the cross? Why did he go through the scourging? Why did he have those two to three inch thorns beaten into his head? Why did he not just nuke those people and have it over with? You know why Jesus went through all of that? Because he understood the reality and the intensity and the pain and the agony and the torment of eternal hell. And it was easier for him to go through all of that and to have those spikes driven into his hands and feet and to raise up for every breath and to bleed out and to not be able to breathe and die for you than it was to let you go to that place that he knew existed and how bad it was. That's why Jesus went through the cross. He understands the reality of hell. He understood vividly the horrific reality of how the deceived, the depraved, and the unforgiven would be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and how the smoke of their torment would ascend forever and ever, and how they would be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation chapter 19 verse 20, chapter 14 verse 11, chapter 20 verse 10. But you know, despite what the Son of God or even the Scriptures themselves say about the many and, and all of that, Barna survey shows that one half of one percent of people actually believe that they're going there. Why is that? Why, we're talking, Dale mentioned in the adult class this morning about false doctrines. Why is it that, that people believe only one out of every 200 when the Bible says the majority will go there. Why is that? Well, there's, there's maybe a lot of reasons, and I've done a lot of thinking about this. Maybe one of the reasons is because 
every obituary you ever read in the paper, or every funeral you ever go to, so-and-so's gone to be with the Lord. Now, it don't matter if they've never attended church in their life. It doesn't matter if they've never been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. It doesn't matter if they had any clue who Jesus was. Oh, they've gone to be with the Lord. I mean no disrespect, and I don't mean to not love anybody, but I'm telling you folks, that ain't what the Bible says. Maybe, maybe another reason that this idea of hell is so far from everybody's psyche Maybe we've dumbed it down so much and watered it down so much. You know, some of these TV shows. I used to drive trucks, so I've watched a little bit that Highway Through Hell. Okay, I have a problem with that title. Here's my problem with that. This is some of the dumbing down we do of hell. There's a fishing show out called Catching Hell. Okay, I got news for you. Ain't nobody going to catch it because it's way too big for any of them. Okay, and this Highway Through Hell... You don't get through it. That's the problem I have with the title. You don't get through hell. You don't come out on the other end. You don't rescue people from it, as it were, once you're already there. You don't get through it. Nobody gets through it. You know, sometimes we'll say on this planet, we'll say, well, man, I, I, I've been through hell. No, you haven't. Because if you had gone there, you wouldn't have gotten out of there. You may have gone through a terribly bad time, but hell is far beyond anything we can experience on this earth. That's why Jesus was so passionate and urgent about it. Alan Webster has written a tract called, If I Do Not Preach on Hell, and I want to read you just part of it. Please pay close attention. What will I preach Sunday is a question that all preachers had to decide last week and every week. The topic hell rarely comes up next in the queue. Kenneth S. Cancer said, The last sermon on hell I heard, I preached myself, and that was nearly 30 years ago. One pastor in Washington, D.C. said, My congregation would be stunned to hear a sermon on hell. American church historian Martin Marty wrote, quote, Hell disappeared, and no one noticed. For liberal Protestants, hell began to fade in the 19th century along with Calvinism's stern and predestining God. Today, hell is theology's H word. You know, we have this word, and we have the H word in churches. Shh, nobody say that word. Unquote. One survey of evangelical seminary students revealed the following attitudes. Now granted, this is in the denominational world, but still, listen to this. Nearly half, that is 46% of evangelical seminary students felt that preaching about hell to unbelievers is in poor taste. I'm just, I'm, I'm reading, the, it's footnoted. You can check it out. Worse yet, three out of every ten self-professed born-again people surveyed believe that good people will go to heaven when they die even if they've never obeyed Christ. Is it any wonder that people have no clue there is a real hell? Listen to that again. 
Three out of every ten self-professed born-again people surveyed believe good people will go to heaven when they die even if they've never obeyed Jesus. What did he say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Look with me in your Bibles. I, I gotta, I'll get back to this, but look with me in your Bibles for a minute. Look with me in 2 Thessalonians 1. I, I couldn't help but just... Ugh. Going to the scripture on this point that, that they believe if you're a good person that you can, you can make it to heaven without Jesus. And these folks, these are 30% of quote unquote those who claim to be born again. 30%. If you're good, you don't need Jesus. Well, if, if righteousness could be gained by the law, Paul wrote, then why did Jesus die? If you've never obeyed him, you can still go. Really? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 7 talks about when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Is it possible to go to heaven without obeying Jesus, without obeying the gospel? No! No! Well, if you're really good. No! That is satanically unbiblical. Does not it say in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, that, that he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him? That's exactly what it says. And yet 30% of those claiming to be saved believe that good people will go even if they've never obeyed Jesus. I continue reading this tract. One in every ten evangelicals say they believe the concept of sin is outmoded. That is, it's outdated. It's old-fashioned to talk about hell. Continuing with just another couple of paragraphs. At Harvard Divinity School, theologian... Let me start again. At Harvard Divinity School, theologian Gordon Kaufman traced four centuries of decline in the concepts of heaven and hell. What is left, he said, is intellectually empty baggage. It seems to me we've gone through irreversible changes. I don't think there can be any future in heaven and hell. Brother Webster writes, no future for heaven and hell, my friend, they are the future. You're going to spend the future in one place or the other. <coughs> Brother Webster goes on to say in this concluding paragraph, what do these quotes prove, the ones he just talked about? Nothing. If every person on earth voted that there is no hell, it would not lower its temperature one degree. I like that. If there is a hell, then there is one. And what men believe does not change it. He makes an interesting point. Missionaries in some hot climates have been unable to convince the natives that ice exists. They just can't believe that water can become so hard that a man could walk on it. Does this change the fact that ice exists? Suppose your preacher never mentioned hell again. Would that make it less tolerable if you went there? 
We can embrace a so-called kinder theology and treat hell as if it were a pagan fable, but it will still be there to receive us in the end. What do you call a preacher who preaches more on hell than he does on heaven? That sounds kind of like an opening line to a bad joke, doesn't it? What do you call a preacher who preaches more on hell than he does on heaven? And, and, and when I'm talking about a preacher that preaches more on hell than, than on heaven, what I'm talking about is, is a preacher who preaches more Sunday sermons on hell than he does on heaven. What would you think of that if you came here three, three weeks out of the month and three out of four Sundays I preached on hell? I preached on hell more than heaven. That's the kind of preacher I'm talking about. I'll get back to the quote-unquote joke in a minute. You know, we're talking about the old fire and brimstone preachers, right? We're talking about the old hell every sermon, every sermon. You know, the, those old, those old uh, fire and brimstone preachers, you know, from back in the day? Back in the day. You remember back in the day? Back in the day when the churches of Christ were the fastest growing religious group in America. You remember back in the day? You remember back in the day when our numbers weren't declining? They were expanding so rapidly. It was hard to believe. Back in that day. Yeah, that was the day when we had preachers who were preaching about the reality of hell. People knew about hell because preachers preached it. And people studied it. And people mentioned it. People knew about hell and they knew it was to be avoided at all costs because of what the Bible says about it. Do you remember back in the day? Anyway, back to my one-liner. What do you call a preacher who preaches more on hell than he does on heaven? Well, to begin with, it doesn't matter what you call him. It matters what the Bible calls him. You know what the Bible calls him? Jesus. The Bible calls him Jesus. You see... Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven. And the reason he preached so much about it, and the reason he paid so much of a price so you could escape it, was because he understood the inescapable horrors and realities of it. Jesus knew that in the end he was going to have to send untold millions of unforgiven and unfaithful people to hell who chose to refuse his gifts of love. I've got something to tell you that might surprise you. You can do the research. I've done it this week, but I'd certainly welcome and encourage you to do the research. Do you know... That Jesus not only taught more about hell than he did heaven, but Jesus introduced the idea of eternal hell. Do you know that the idea of eternal hell is not in the Old Testament? Now, some of you are going to jump right on that and say, I've read the word hell in the Old Testament. Well, that's fine. You've read it in the King James Version, because in the King James Version, the Old Testament word Sheol, the Hebrew word Sheol, is the same as the Greek word Hades in the New Testament. It's not talking about hell, that eternal abode that comes after the judgment day when we're all judged. It's talking about that intermediate state of spirits. It's talking about Hades with the good side and the bad side, like in the story of Lazarus. It's talking about this holding place or this realm of the spirits who are waiting until judgment day, just like the rest of us. And that word Sheol occurs 65 times. In the Old Testament scriptures, but every time it's talking about that waiting place, not eternal hell. Even though some versions will translate Sheol hell, it's not. It's the same as Hades. It's that waiting place. So, eternal hell 
There's not a word for it in the Old Testament scriptures. And again, I've done the research. You can if you'd like. Just don't go just by your translation, because some translations translate Sheol as hell, and it's not. Who introduced that New Testament idea? Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus for a moment. Jesus preached hell and not entering heaven throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Not only did he introduce the idea, but he also preached about the importance of avoiding hell at all cost. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Jesus later repeated the message about hell again that he had already stated in the Sermon on the Mount when he was training his disciples in Matthew 18, 8 and 9. Jesus passionately preached, passionately preached to the Pharisees and he unloaded both barrels on them in Matthew chapter 23 to get them to somehow escape their flame-broiled future by going to hell. And in Matthew chapter 24 and 5, Jesus repeatedly preached, Be ready, be ready, so that you don't have your portion with the hypocrites and the unprepared where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's all throughout Matthew 24 and 5. And I want you to look at how he concludes that in Matthew 25, 41. He concludes that dissertation in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, thus... Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Did Jesus believe hell was real? Yeah. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. Thirsty, and you gave me no drink. As a stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they're going to say, Lord, when did we see all these things? And then verse 45, he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of one of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. That is that everlasting fire from verse 41. It is everlasting punishment in verse 46. But the righteous into eternal life. Everlasting and eternal are the same. Whatever is everlasting is eternal. So the reality is that hell is going to last for as long as heaven does. There's going to be this eternal punishment and there's going to be this eternal life. I've got to make something perfectly clear here. If it is sinful, and no, I'm not done with the lesson, just because I put my Bible up. If it is sinful, if it is judgmental, if it is unloving, or if it is unkind to preach on the realities of hell, somebody should have told Jesus. If it is sinful or unloving to preach on the reality of hell and define those who are going there, then Jesus Christ sinned and the Bible lies because it says he never sinned. The only conclusion we are left with is that it is neither unloving, unkind, or sinful to preach on the realities of hell, to love people enough to continually, consistently, and with great urgency seek to save their souls from that. Please listen to this. Alan Webster continues in his tract. Paul, not just Jesus, Paul, a preacher filled with Christ's love. Do you believe Paul was filled with Christ's love? He preached on hell. 
Paul loved his enemies. Acts chapter 26 verse 29. He cared enough to spend and be spent for others. 2 Corinthians 12 15. And Paul was also willing to be accursed that others might be saved. Romans 9 3. That same Paul also wrote one of the strongest statements on hell in our Bible. And it's the one we just read a few minutes ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. John. What is John called? John is called the Apostle of Love. Do you know the Apostle of Love spoke on hell? He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved four times in the Gospel of John. John's epistles are overflowing with phrases like, Beloved of God and my little children and love one another. And yet, that same John spoke about the reality of hell many times. In the book of Revelation, no less than seven times, he called it a bottomless pit. He called it a lake of fire and brimstone throughout Revelation 19 and 20. And he said that those who didn't belong to God would go there. John and Paul were not the only ones. Peter. Peter discussed the horrors of going to hell extensively in 2 Peter 2 and 3. And, and I'm just going over these real quick. If we read all these chapters, we'd be here till evening services. So if you think the lesson's long now, think about me reading all of these. And finally, the writer of Hebrews made it unmistakably clear that hell would be the final destination of those Christians who, listen to this, please listen to this, hell would be the final destination of those Christians who either drift away, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, turn away, chapter 3 and verse 12, or fall away, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews. Not only those who drift away, turn away, or fall away, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that hell will be the eternal abode also of those Christians who choose to make it a habit, who choose to make it a habit of staying away from the assembly, chapter 10, verses 19 through 31, who throw away their confidence in Christ, chapter 10, verses 35 through 38, who turn away from the warnings in God's word, Hebrews 12, 25, and are carried away by various and strange doctrines, Hebrews 13 and verse 9. Oh, the book of Hebrews. Is full of that. For Christians. A short while ago there was a book published, became a bestseller, and the title was, Heaven is for Real. I wonder how much it would have sold if somebody came out with a book, Hell is for Real. Because hell is just as real as heaven. I would conclude with these thoughts from Brother Webster's tract. R.W. Dale, in his day, Britain's leading Congregationalist minister, did not believe in eternal punishment. Before he died, he sighed and said, No one fears God nowadays. The second fact is the logical conclusion of the first. In teaching people to disregard divine punishment, he had taught them to discount divine power. After an army chaplain told his men that he did not believe in hell, one of them suggested that his services were no longer needed. If there is no hell, then why worry about death? In rejecting heaven and hell, the modern consciousness also rejects the awesome seriousness of moral and immoral behavior. We see the fruits of this rejection in our own time. Why is the morality of the common man slipping at such an alarming rate? There is no fear of God before his eyes, Psalm 36.1. Why is there no fear of God before his eyes? He's been told that God is love, 
And the devil is only a cartoon character with a red suit, horns, and a pointed tail. A.W. Tozier hit the nail squarely on the head when he said the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly drug for the consciousness of millions. A wide majority of people do not believe in the devil's hell. Most Americans now believe Satan is only a symbol for evil. Only 27% strongly believe that Satan is real. A Harris poll found that while 89% of Americans believe in heaven, only 31% believe in a place of actual torment where people will be sent. Less than 25% believe they or their friends will go there. Yet Jesus insisted that more than 50% will. In fact, he said the majority would. So the question this morning is, will you be one of the few who does not go to hell? That all begins with our final verses of the morning. Please open your Bibles to Mark 16. Will you be one of the few who escape eternal hell? Mark 16, verses 15 and 16 give us the answer. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every, cre to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. The answer is, you will not be one of the few to escape the fiery future if you have not believed and obeyed the gospel and been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins the way Bob Potts was this past Thursday afternoon. And once you have done that, if you have failed to live a surrendered, crucified life of repentance... You won't be one of the few who escape it either. As we saw in Hebrews, if you have begun this morning, I beg you to listen. If you have begun this morning in any way, shape, or form, to drift away, turn away, fall away, stay away, throw away, or be carried away from the living God, His living Word, His loving Son, and His laboring church, you better turn it around right this morning before it's too late, because hell is very, very real. Hell is real and the first step away from it begins with the first step that you take down that aisle. Folks, the boat is sinking. The sharks are circling. The, 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 the building is burning. And the smoke's getting thicker. And the fire's getting hotter. Hell is for real. There's only one way out, and that is Jesus. Would you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Truly repenting? And if you've already been baptized, and, and you, you've done some of those things that you know God doesn't approve of, and you haven't lived making His kingdom and His mission and His word and His Son top priority, you better turn it around before you drift away or fall away. Hell is for real. Where are you going? You want to go to heaven? Starts when you step into that aisle with a sincere heart and turn it to God. If you have a need, will you come to the front as we stand and sing?